Friends in Recovery, the Addiction Recovery Podcast, is brought to you by the Friends in Recovery Community, a thriving network of individuals who are fighting back against the stigma of addiction. Join our hosts as they speak up about the real issues of addiction, treatment, and recovery. Friends in Recovery, the Addiction Recovery Podcast, is available on Facebook, Podbean, iTunes, and YouTube 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Now, here are your friends in recovery. Welcome, everybody, to the Friends in Recovery Podcast with Jersey Ed. I'm your host, Jersey Ed, along with my one co-host today. It's Beach Beth today. I guess you're going to the beach, Beth. I am. I am. I'm so excited. And uh, Bambi is feeling under the weather today. So we we wish her a speedy recovery because we don't know what we're doing. And uh, we need you back, Bambi. So your story. Get back here, Bambi. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And today (laughs) we have Megan, just Megan on our show today. She's going to share some of her amazing story. Um, That's just incredible. I heard a little bit of it. So stay tuned for some amazing recovery um just if you guys want to get a hold of us if you want to uh, find out how bambi is doing you can in fact call the hotline at 800-989-6504 and that'll ring directly to me and i will answer it and tell you i'll give you an update on bambi so try it out um don't text beth because we have a show going on and she does not need to be distracted um <laughs> You are, you are. There's those little shiny things and you're all over the place. So um, if you like to, <laughs> if you like to email us uh, the show, help at friends and recovery podcast.com. If you want to email us personally, my, my email and Beth's email is directly underneath us. Um, send us an email and we are looking for an intern. We need an intern. We need an intern. Five quit already because it could not fit into the bikini. No, that's not why they quit. You got to stop bikini, man. No more bikini. Man, banana. What do we call it? Banana, banana hammock. Banana hammock. Banana hammock. That's hammock. it. Yes. Banana hammocks we're looking for now. So <laughs> Megan's like, why am I in this show? <laughs> why did I get into recovery for this? <laughs> Anyways, um, email us directly um, and we'd be more than happy to answer whatever fan mail we get, which I don't get any, but I'm sure Beth gets it off. Um, and also look us, <laughs> look for us um, on all of our social media, friends and recovery community. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share, and give us a, a give us a, whatchamacallit, a, uh, a little button. Like. A like. No, smash uh, that like button. Subscribe. Smash, that's right. Smash <laughs> that subscribe button, right? Isn't that they all those, those people say on YouTube? That's what smash the famous it. people say. I'm just Is trying it? to like. Fake it till I make it. Yes. Smash that subscribe button. <laughs> oh, you're famous, Beth. Believe me, everybody knows you on this podcast. So <laughs> infamous, maybe. Not that's famous. right. That's right. No, just make sure you set that um the bell so it, it tells you when the podcast is um gonna be up, right? You know, you yep. want you want to see this episode of with Megan because Megan has an amazing story. So you should set that bell for next week so you can see Megan. Hands down. And then you can turn it off afterwards. But I wouldn't. You're funny. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so we're we're here. Um, perp- we're gonna. I was gonna say we're coming to the purple heart part of the show, but we're coming to the hearts part of our show, where we ask all of our viewers to give us some hearts. And of course, Beth has her black hearts. Me, my blue hearts, and we have um, Megan with her red hearts. Um, Bambi is purple hearts, and we will not accept hearts today when somebody is absent. So Bambi is off the list. <laughs> you know, before the show, you know, before the show, I was like, maybe we need to like cut Bambi a break. She's not feeling well. Maybe we should send her some hearts. But you know what? Fuck that shit. No hearts for Bambi. That's right. No hearts for Bambi. <laughs> we we hope a speedy recovery, though. Yes. So also, I'd like to thank all of our donors who made this show possible. And don't forget, Friends and Recovery Podcast is part of the Fire Network. For more information on any of this stuff we just told you, again, go to our uh, website, friendsandrecoverycommunity.org. Beth, it's sober shout-out time. And um, Megan, do you have any sober shout-outs? So is that people that are getting ready to celebrate or can I just shout out to, to anybody? Anybody. You can shoot, anybody. shout out to anybody, anything. All right. Well, then I, I sober shout out to my husband because he deals uh, with me. Yeah. He's uh, uh, been sober for 
eight years now. So mm-hmm. yeah, he, he deals with me and my craziness. So I definitely <laughs> give him a shout out. Definitely. Whenever husband is, does husband have a name or you just call him husband? Oh yeah. Well, I call, <laughs> I call him babe, but everybody else can call him Kenny. <laughs> okay. Kenny. All right. All right. Good job, yeah. babe. I Good mean, job, Kenny. Babe. <laughs> so yeah, Kenny, eight years. Congratulations. And um, I'll just stop right there <laughs> because we, I didn't want to go into, she, he deals with Megan because Megan's our guest. Good. So, Good job. <laughs> so I know when to stop, right. I know when not to cross the line anymore. So Beth, how about you? Any sober shout outs? I'll give a shout out to my husband, Dan, who deals with my crazy shit. Dan. All right. We we know your husband's name, Dan. And there's other names that you call him, but we're not allowed to say them in front of him. So, (laughs) Well, why everybody's giving shout outs to husbands, I'll give a shout out to my husband. No, I mean, my wife. (laughs) No. (laughs) Stacy. Come on, laugh, Beth. Everybody, I want to be part of the crew. So Stacy puts up with my shit all the, all these years too. So, um, but sober shit she puts up with, which is good with all of us. You know, I mean, we're still crazy. But... Uh, yeah, really, you're gonna ask me that? Come on, she listens, Beth. <laughs> <laughs> you're fucked. <laughs> Carl, cut that out, Carl. Please cut all that out. <laughs> I think uh, it's thirteen. Okay. I think it's thirteen years now. We've been together almost twenty years. So yeah. My husband all the time. I'm like, what are we celebrating this year? Is it 2022? <laughs> I, I don't even know. I think it's 21 this year. My marriage will be legal to drink, I think. I'm not 100%. <laughs> Oh my God. Um, and what else do we have? Uh, so, oh, the sober shout outs to Carl and his book and Chelsea, right guys, 30, 366 fucking days sober. Go buy the book. Um, listen to the podcast, sober pod over to the left, turn the dial. They are over there doing some good stuff in California and uh, Chelsea too. Chelsea's an amazing part of that show. So please stop and listen to those guys over there. So um, yes, uh, Cindy confirmed my neighbor. It is 13 years that we've been together and we've been married. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and don't forget about our twice daily a meetings on zoom at friends and recovery community.org. You can find all our a meetings that we have on there that Bammy hosts a lot of um, please, you know, join us for some of those uh, AA meetings. So here it is, Beth, you know what time it is. Question of the week. Question of the week. There you go. And it's uh, it's question of the week. And the question of the week this week is, do you know how to relax? That's it. Pretty simple because it is rest and rejuvenation month here on on Sober Pod. It's rest and rejuvenation month on Sober Pod. (laughs) This is not Sober Pod. It's Friends in Recovery. Um, so that's, that's the question is, do you know how to relax? Obviously you, the, everybody can answer that question for me. Okay. No, you do <laughs> no. not know how to relax. No. So we'll skip me and we'll go directly to Megan. Ah, Megan, okay. do you know how to relax? Uh, well, I didn't used to, um, okay. then when, when COVID hit and I'm stuck in the house with three teenagers, not working, I had to learn how to step away and teach myself how to relax, mm. you know? Just spend some time meditating so that COVID, that was one of the things that good that came out of COVID for me was I was able to kind of learn how to relax before I was just nonstop, 100% all go. And then now it's like I've learned to know, listen to my body more, if that makes mm, sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's it. a lot of people learned how to relax through COVID. And and I do know how to relax. I, I do my meditation. I have my me time from 4 a.m. to 6.30 every single day. And I relax then, you know, it just once you're on, you're on. I'm that person. The switch turns on, I go. The switch turns off, I go to sleep. So, but yeah, that, that's so true. A lot of us found how to, um, how to uh, relax in COVID because there's really nothing we can do. So, you know, as far as that goes, but Beth, how about you? Do you know how to relax? 100% yes. Okay. Oh, wow. Surprising. Yeah. Okay. All right. No, that's surprising. Really? Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I totally know how to relax. Like I know how to take a step back and how to close my eyes. Like, yeah, I am. Yeah. I'm on board with relaxing. Okay. I'm bored with it. So we're all on board with the relaxing. So, Hey, excuse me. If you guys have any uh, answers to that question, put it in the Facebook or the comments below. Um, and I'm done with that question. 
<laughs> it it okay. was not an easy question to find. These questions this month were not easy, so I'm done with it. Unless you guys want to talk about it, I can go, you know, do some paperwork for the show if you want. <laughs> no. <laughs> Anyways, all right. Let's let's uh, let's read today's 366 fucking days sober. Um, we're going to actually read yesterday's August 18th, if you don't yep. mind. Yep, totally. August 18th. When you say yes to one thing, you say no to something else. Remember that the next time you decide, decide to take on a side project or help a neighbor move. All good deeds don't go unpunished. We only exchange one moment for another. As they say in AA, a price had to be paid. And we may pay for it by miss, missing time with our family and friends, not having time to take our dog for a walk, or just sitting and watching the evening news. When we say yes to too many things, we get overwhelmed and naturally get resentful at the lack of time we have for ourselves. So learn to say no more often so you can say yes to something else. Give yourself the most precious gift of the most non-renewable resource in the world, the gift of time. Wow, that was mm. really good. Um, Reflection, are you people pleasing too much lately? And if so, why? Mm. Daily challenge, when someone asks you for a favor, try saying no, but say it nicely. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, okay. I'm just upset there was not one curse word in there. It wasn't, I know, I know. It, that That's a good reading. Uh, even, that was a really good one. Even without the curse words. And that kind of that kind of ties into all this stuff that we're talking about, you know, relax, re relaxing and and knowing how to knowing how to relax. And that's one way, because I know for me, if if I say yes to too many things, I can't relax at all. You know, there's yep. just no relaxing. And then you know, like like the book said, the resentments and all that stuff. So but yeah, it's it's a great reading for for today. And um you know, I, I just love reading those readings, but that's not what this show is about. That's sober pod. Go listen to sober pod because after they read that, they talk about it and we're not that cheesy. We're not that we don't do that shit. Right. We don't we, <laughs> we bring people on like Megan. Right. Like like Madonna. But, but Megan, we don't have Madonna. <laughs> Megan, so Megan doesn't have a last name. Megan said she does just want to be identified as Megan, right? Megan. So, Megan, welcome to the show. Well, hello. <laughs> Great to be here. Well, it, it took a lot to get you to this point to talk. We we go through a lot of crap that we have to talk about, but um, this is the meat and potatoes of the show. This is where uh, this is where we like to have somebody shine and talk about their recovery. And you and I know each other from the field. And um, when I met you. You told me your story and almost fell off my chair. So, uh, <laughs> and it's it's an amazing story. Bambi texts us both. And you get you got to hear her story. I'm like, yeah, I know it. I know it, Bambi. So, but um, <laughs> but so let me ask you, who is Megan? Who are you, Megan? Uh, right now, I'm a dog mom. There's a dog. <laughs> and who is that? Who's the dog? This is Miles. This is my actual baby. Miles. I love him more than my kids. So he's definitely <laughs> he's able to stay in the room with me. <laughs> and I still have the kids in their room. So um well I, you know, I'm I'm a wife, I'm a mother, you know, I'm I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, all things that were given to me um through recovery. Uh mm. because before that I was none of those things, you know. I, you know, I I do work in the field of recovery. I'm a peer recovery coach. So I get to help other people get into treatment, which it's a love hate relationship with that job because, mm. you know, you know what it's like dealing with people like us <laughs> where we're difficult oh, yeah. to deal with. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, you know, um, I could jump in now a little bit about my story or I can let you ask me some more questions, but yeah, that's sure. generally yeah. in a nutshell, kind of what, who I am. I mean, um, you know, I'm a beautiful child of God mm. also. You know, I, that's I, awesome. Yeah. So mm. I developed a great relationship with God through my recovery, too. Mm. That's that's great. Well, you know, you said um, you said I want to hear her story. Yo, yeah. Okay, go tell us your story. I, I got to hear this. Like everybody's like, I fell off my chair and I'm like, nobody's told me anything <laughs> about your story. So I want to hear your story. Like okay. what, what happened? <laughs> right. And like I said, I like to talk a lot. So I might have to I might have go. to. Like, 
We'll Go jump in. It. Don't worry. We'll jump in. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> so yeah. So um, just a little bit of what it was like growing up. Mm-hmm. I I grew up in a very dysfunctional family. My father was a heroin addict. I started using pain pills with my mom when I was about thirteen. And I don't know if you, anybody's ever seen the show Dope Sick or Painkillers. Mm-hmm. The, the one, yeah. Where how easily back then it was to get addicted to to opiates. My mom ended up getting addicted to it gradually. And as a teenager, she would give it to me for, you know, just little pains, not Mm. even thinking anything about it. So, Mm. you know, all I knew is when I took it, I felt normal because all the voices in my head shut up. I felt like I could fit in and gradually I got addicted to it. So I dropped out of high school. Me and my mom would just go doctor hopping and and things like that. And that became my childhood, basically from the time I was 13 to 18. I remember a lot about my dad growing up. You know, I'm from Texas. So I remember the Dallas SWAT team showing up to look for him. I remember finding him going out on, Mm. you know, our garage floor, things like that growing up. That was was it kind of in a nutshell. It was very dysfunctional. I didn't know how to live as an adult when I became 18. And when I was 18, my mom actually got arrested for prescription forgery. Oh, wow. Yeah. So about that time, my dad had moved up to Maryland to get sober. I think at that point, he had two years sober when my mom got arrested. And let me tell you, I hated my dad. I mean, I I blamed him for everything. I do what we do. You know, I blamed him for everything. Mm. He was the reason for our problems, which, you know, growing up in a family like that, as a child, that really isn't your fault, you know? So a lot of blame did go on him. And I didn't learn how to let a lot of that go until I got into recovery. So I ended up picking up that payphone, actually, <laughs> kind of out of myself with age <laughs> here. Because we didn't have we didn't have electricity. We didn't have phone. You know, all these things. We didn't have any of that. We didn't have food. And that was like the hardest phone call I had mm. to make was picking up that phone to call him and tell him I had a problem. Mm. Thank God he was in recovery <laughs> because... He had me on a plane ride up here from Dallas that day. Wow. So he brought me up. He, you know, had me sober up with, you know, he owns a flower shop. So I remember sobering up, coming off opiates in the back of his office Mm. and withdrawing off opiates. I mean, it's a miserable time. So very miserable time. And I remember being so scared because I didn't know. I didn't know anything. I didn't know what I was going to do, what was going to happen. My whole life had just crumbled around me. So he ended up started taking me to AA meetings. And immediately I compared out of that because I I didn't think I was an alcoholic. I didn't really ever drink. So I did uh, what good alcoholics do. I started drinking, <laughs> but I didn't drink normally what you would consider a normal alcoholic would do. Mm-hmm. I remember drinking bottles of Listerine and bottles of vanilla extract because the voices were still there and Mm. I didn't know how to shut them up. And I didn't know enough about this disease to really know anything. I thought AA was a bunch of bull crap. I didn't, I didn't believe anything anybody was saying here. I was at that point, 19 years old Mm -hmm. and just not really knowing how to be a 19 year old kid basically is what I was. Yeah. So at that point, that's what I was doing. I was going to different grocery stores. I was picking up like toothpaste and cookie stuff with the vanilla extract, just so people didn't think that I was drinking it. Oof. Long story short, I ended up meeting a guy. <laughs> and he <laughs> That always my, goes he was, that way. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was my higher power. He was my fixer. You yes. know? I mean, I was in love after a month. So, you know, he was in <laughs> love. So. But he, he did what, what I wanted. He drank. And he got me beer and liquor and, and I I fit in, you know, I felt like I was normal because that's what people at that age did. So, you know, I ended up drinking and I would drink as friends under the table. And, and it was just, it was in my mind, it was a great time. I ended up getting pregnant with my son and I was going on 20 at that point by the grace of God. I did not drink through that pregnancy. And that's Mm. what that was. I, I didn't drink. Um, but I had this mentality that when my son was born, that I was going to be able to have this normal family, like the white picket fence, the leave it to beaver family. We were going to do sports (laughs) and PTA and all this other stuff that I didn't have as a kid. Mm -hmm. And well, we all know that outside things can't fix an inside problem Mm -hmm. because the minute my son was born, that didn't happen. I loved him. At that point, I realized kind of what my, my dad 
you know, I started to realize how my dad was mm-hmm. at that point. I, I knew he loved me, but he couldn't stop because of me. So, um, and that's what happened when I had my son, as much as I wanted to stop and as much as I wanted to be normal, I couldn't, I did things as a mom that I am extremely unproud of. I would drink with him in the car. Mm. I would stop at liquor stores. I would, you know, my mom at that point was out of jail and I would call her up and manipulate her to fly me pain pills up here from Texas and she would do it. So I was doing all these things with my little baby in the Mm. car. Now you were 20 years old at this point, you said? Mm-hmm, I was 20. Okay. And dad is still in recovery at this point. Dad is still in recovery. Yes. So, so. dad's not putting up with your shit probably, right? No, he was okay. not. We were right. not talking at that point okay. <laughs> after I had my son. Correct? Okay. Okay. So yes, we were not, we were, we were on the outskirts at that mm-hmm. point because he didn't okay. approve of the dad. He didn't approve of the way I was behaving, which rightfully so, mm-hmm. but I wasn't going to listen to him because look what he had put me through. Mm. Like, I didn't, I didn't care what he was telling me. Plus, you know, we're, we're addicts and alcoholics who, when you're in the depths of our addiction, nobody wants to listen to mm. someone telling us that we're doing something wrong. That is true. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm right. Nobody else is. Nobody else is. <laughs> yeah, that's yep. Nobody else is right. You yeah. Know, stubborn teenagers. Yeah. A stubborn child is basically what I yeah. was. I never really grew up. Um, but so that, that went on for a little bit. I was working at a different flower shop at that time. And around this time, my son was four months sober. I'm so four months sober. Four months old, and I the I would basically drop him off at his grandparents, and I would pick him up. And there was one night that I was extremely tired. It was around Christmas time, and I was working a lot of hours. And I decided that night to get my son's dad to pick him up. Well, my mom had flew me up pills from Texas, and I stopped at the liquor store to get a pint of vodka. And I was going to be good that day. I wasn't going to drink it on the way home. Of course, I was high as a kite. Mm-hmm. And we have this long, windy road going to, we had this long, windy road going to our house. And uh, I remember going around the corner and flipping my car three or four times and crushing oh my God. the whole car. Oh my God. Um, With your yeah. son in it? No, no. Thank God oh. that night. It was, that was, it was a, it was a godsend because that mm-hmm. night I was so tired. I decided to get his dad to pick him up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I mean, it broke the third and fourth thoracic vertebrae in my back. Oh my god! Um, they had to fly me to shock trauma, and yeah. wow. so it was, it was a it was a pretty uh, it was a pretty rough experience. And I remember a good bit of it. They ended up finally releasing me. Of course, we know I was more pain medicine, you know. Mm-hmm. And stuff. Now it was prescribed to me. And the one thing that I did the minute I got out of that hospital. Was I knew that pint of vodka was still in that car. Yeah. <laughs> and my son's dad <laughs> take me to go get that pint of vodka. And wow. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that's, you know, it was a fresh bottle of vodka. Of course, you know, I'm in pain. Can't waste it. Take it. Can't waste it. Yeah. That's right. So we went and got it. And my mom flew up from Texas to help out with the baby. And so that's what I did. I drank and I used. I drank and I used. And for about a month, this went on. I remember getting really, really sick. And, you know, the voices, the Mm. voices were so bad. I couldn't, I'd wake up and they wouldn't go away. And I was still alive and I didn't know how I was still alive and I couldn't shut them up. And I, you know, I remember downing whiskey and just throwing it up and just downing more just to try and shut Mm. those voices up in my head. And Mm. I couldn't shut them up at that point. Nothing was working. So, like I said, this went on for about a good month and I remember getting really sick. And then I, the next thing I remember one night being so sick. And then nothing other than waking up at Johns Hopkins with my dad by my bed telling me how to liver transplant. Oh my God. So they told me that by the time they had gotten me to Hopkins, they'd given me 48 hours to live, that my liver was so bad at that point that there was nothing to do. All the toxins were in my brain. My whole body was shutting down and there was, there was nothing they could do. They started looking for, you know, a liver. So what, how old were you, Megan? I was 21. 21 wow. with a four month year old or five, five, a year old child. Now was he, he was, he was, a he was year six old months old, six months old. Mm-hmm. And you're in the hospital waiting for a liver, possibly dying. Yeah. They, they basically told people to start preparing for a funeral <clears throat> because the chances of finding a liver were, it would be a miracle to find one. Mm-hmm. And of course you, you stop drinking and life goes on and everything's good at this point. Right. Oh. God, no. <laughs> no, 
See, I know your story, so that's why. I, I <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I still went out and drank after I got that new liver. Really? <laughs> so how long, long, but, but how I long, did. <laughs> how long did it take to get the liver? They found one in 48 hours. They, um, mm. they wow. were actually going to, they flew my brother up from Texas. I have a younger brother and they were going to take part of his and they ended up finding a liver in Puerto Rico. Mm. And there were three guys ahead of me on the transplant list in the tri-state area. I was at Hopkins and their doctors didn't want to go check it out because it was in Puerto Rico and mine flew down there and it was an actual, it was the whole liver and mm. they brought it back and uh, it was a perfect match for me. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I was in Hopkins in and out for about a year. Oh my God. So much trauma to my body. They ended up having to drill a hole in my head. Um, I lost all my hair. My lung had collapsed. I had like, I've counted, I think there's four holes from a chest tube trach. I lost the ability to walk and talk and because I was in ICU for so long. So it was a lot of, it was a lot of recovery process after I had it. Wow. So, so this is, this is the, after the liver transplant, you had to go through all this on top of that. Uh-huh. Yes. Wow. Okay. So then you stopped drinking after that, right? No. No. I, when I got out of the hospital, I mean, of course I believed I was an alcoholic at that point. So my dad was dragging me back to meetings and I was miserable and sitting in the back of the room and didn't believe that I needed to, didn't think that my life was going to be anything. Mm. I, you know, I didn't have friends. I didn't know what to do. I did manage to go back to school to um, mm-hmm. be a medical assistant. Okay. But I wasn't working any type of program or anything. So when I uh, when I got ready to graduate from medical assistant school, I went out with a bunch of friends and got drunk. And I justified it completely, mm. saying I had this new liver. And uh, I oh wow! Oh jeez. <laughs> Yeah, I gotta, gotta test drive my gotta new liver. Gotta test baby out. <laughs> so yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah, God. drink, it's okay. Um, so yeah, so that's, you know, I I didn't drink for very long. I, I, I got sober when I was 23. So I drank often, I mean, because I, I got out of the hospital basically when I was 22. Okay. So it was about a year off and on of drinking until I got sober at 23. My sobriety date is January 14th, 2009. Mm-hmm. So I, I got sober then. Um, and yeah, so that's what, you know, it was a lot of, it was a, it was a big recovery process for the, um, for the transplant and well, just in general. So, so did they, did they give you like an ultimatum about you can't drink? I mean, I'm sure, sh- I'm sure they knew why your liver was bad. Right. I mean, like- they did. And it was a lot of, and a lot of it was the mix of the opiates <laughs> and the acetaminophen. Oh yeah. Is what killed it. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. So it was all the opiates over the, the gears because back then when they made Vicodin and things like that, it had a lot of acetaminophen in it and I was uh, taking probably 40 of them a day. Holy cow. Yeah. Holy shit. So, so yeah, so I was taking a lot. That and wow. then we, when you topped it with all the drinking, it just killed me. Decimated your poor little liver. Yeah. Wow. Ate it up. The surgeon that did my surgery said it was one of the worst livers he'd ever seen. Oh. So, wow. One so, of the miracles of this, sorry, one of the miracles no, okay. program was that when I was dying and they were trying to get pe- people's blood to see if they were a match, my dad being so involved in recovery. They said they had seen the most people come donate their blood. Wow. They were matched for me than they'd ever seen before. And it wow. Was wow. That's yeah. crazy. You so love AA, man. They show up. Yeah. They're all absolutely. alcoholics, so I'm sure their livers weren't great, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> they all showed up. They right? all yeah. showed up. That's <laughs> it. That's up. it. That's it. So what what was the final, you know, enough's enough, you know, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired and, you know, you know let me do it your way. What was that? What, what did that look like? It I was mean, very, it was very simple, actually. Okay. Yeah, that was, I remember sitting in a basement with my son and I remember the big book, big book being there. I did have a sponsor and I tried. I really did. I tried. I picked up tons of 24 hour chips. I would lie about picking up, you know, four or five month chips saying that I was sober. And I just remember sitting there and, and looking at that baby and that big book and saying, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I just, I can't. And I uh, call my sponsor and said, I'm ready. Mm-hmm. I'm ready. And at that point on, I picked up the big book. I started reading and doing what was suggested. Yeah. Wow. So you didn't go to rehab. You didn't go to detox, nothing. Mm-mm. Wow. Wow. You're lucky. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Holy cow. I mean, so, you're lucky that you're alive. Like yeah, you're lucky to be alive. Down. Yeah. I mean, 100% you're lucky to be alive. I mean, you're a miracle. I mean, a couple times over, like yeah. survived the drinking, survived the liver, survived the, the liver again after, you know, after you got it drinking again. So, so from when you got the new liver to staying sober, you said it was only a couple months. Yeah. Uh, from when I got the liver to staying sober. Well, no, sober. I, I'm sorry to getting sober on January 14, 2009. Yeah. So I got out of the hospital <laughs> um, in February. Was it January, February of, of uh, 2010? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2010. So um, and so it was a good year. It was about a year because I um, not 2010. Uh, so I had the liver in 2007. OK. 2008. Is when I got out of the hospital. 2009 is when I got sober. Okay. okay. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it was off and on for probably about a year that I yeah. was picking up and stuff like that. If that makes yeah. sense. So, so and the opiates were were involved or just just the drinking basically at this point. Yeah. Well, I was taking pills too. Okay. All right. Yeah. So were you ever scared in in that time when you got this new liver and drinking and saying, you know, I mean, like like this could like kill me again? No, because at that, you know, still at that point in my life, I didn't care about being here. I, yeah. I was actually very depressed and I thought that it was a waste of a liver mm. because I didn't think that I was, um, you know, worthy enough to have it. Mm. And I remember going through a very bad depression because of it when I was in the hospital thinking, why did they give this to me? Mm. Because I don't deserve it. You know? Wow. Wow. That's crazy. So, so you hit, you got into some depression, you kind of drank your way through it but then when you got sober were you still in that depression did you still have some mental health issues as far as that goes i mean you know because it i mean that can't be easy every that that's some major trauma you went through i mean major trauma i'm guessing yes yeah so i did i mean there was still there was still a lot of work to be done i just mm-hmm. took away the drinking and the pills but there mm-hmm. was you know it, it, mm-hmm. even though you take that away there's still me and there's still all those voices in my head that takes time. It takes work, working the steps and developing a relationship with God and, or your higher power and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and coming out of my shell and dealing with a lot of past traumas and traumas from my, my father and my mom and, you know, things like that. So it, I didn't do, I did nothing perfect in recovery. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I jumped from men to men to men. I, you know, I developed a, an eating disorder that was yeah. also had to be dealt with. And it was a lot of just, different things that had to be dealt with along the, along the way. Wow. Um, so it was a, it was a long process, but yeah. you know, today I'm happy. I'll get to that point, but today I don't want people to think that, Oh my God, this is horrible. You know, who wouldn't want to go through all this, but you know, you can't do so much to your body and live for so long that like that, and then expect to jump right into being happy. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess maybe there are some people for me, I couldn't, I couldn't, I did so much for so long and here now I was a, basically a single mom because I mm-hmm. left my son's dad because he decided to go out and drink and party while I was in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I left him. He is one of us. And he has said that now he's not in recovery right now, but he has said that he has a drinking problem. Mm-hmm. So here I was a single mom, transplant, you know, uh, alcoholic, addict, trying to get sober and just trying to do it, you know, as much on my own as I could. Uh. That's crazy. That's that's it's just just a crazy story. I mean, you know, I mean, thank God you're here. There's a reason why you're here. Um, you know, you know, it, it's funny you said, you know, why did I get this liver? Well, there's a reason why, you know. Um, and I want to bring back to that. I, I want to ask you, you said peer support. That's what you do, right? Mm-hmm. Is that I want to jump into that some of the the good stuff that you're doing now. Um, so what is a peer support? What what is what is that? Well, what we do, we do more than just get people into treatment and okay. into recovery. We go in with patients and we share our story. So you're talking so, about going where? Into a hospital? No, into or? a hospital. Yeah, okay. I work okay. in the emergency department at Carroll Hospital. So, okay. Okay. so yeah, when they come in, we kind of get flagged. So if they have a problem, there's screenings that are done or they'll come in, they say they want help. And then us as peer you know, support people, recovery coaches, we go mm-hmm. in and we share our story with them. We share, mm-hmm. it's kind of like being in the rooms of AA and you sharing your story in AA. Mm-hmm. We go in and they relate to us. So a lot of nurses and doctors will even say that we get more out of these patients than any one of them ever could. Wow. Because they, 
you know, they relate to us. And then if they do want treatment or they do want help, we, we line it up. I mean, we, anything we can, we try and get them support in any way, not just in recovery and in treatment. I mean, if we send them directions, if they need housing or clothing or food, or they need help with their kids or, you know, all those things, we help direct them in different ways that we can direct them. Mm. Um, But the biggest part is that we connect with them on a recovery level. Yeah. Yeah. And and that sounds like why you got your liver. I mean, you know, to me, that sounds like to me, I don't know, but, you know, and then earlier also you were talking and I can't remember if it was before we opened the show or, or, or after, but you said something about God and you said higher power. Um, You said, uh, I, I don't know exactly what you said, but, um, do you mind talking a little about your higher power of God? And cause it seemed like you were pretty firm. This is where, this is why I'm at. This is where I'm at today because of God. I'm, I'm, that's what I got out of it when you're saying that before. Yeah. So, um, in the beginning, I think that was the biggest, the hardest thing for me was developing a relationship with God because I came into the rooms, even with this new miracle and everybody would say, how do you not know this is a miracle? How do you not, you know? Um, because I had such a resentment towards God, towards mm. my higher power. I do call it my higher power God. So um, I had such a resentment and because I felt like I was, you know, got the short end of the stick mm. as far as my life had gone. Okay. Um, I had a hard time with really, you know, thinking that I was worthy, like I said. So over time with all the stuff that I kept going through, I kept noticing all these women that were being put in my life, carrying me through. And eventually, because of them showing me the way and, sh- and my sponsor, I have the most amazing sponsor. She is very uh, outside issue. She is very involved in church, but she has an amazing story in recovery. And with her love that she showed me, helped me develop develop a relationship with God today because, you know, it showed me that there are good people out there. And, you know, when I started to actually help other people in recovery, it's, it's like the door, something just opened, mm-hmm. you know, a light just came through. And today I, you know, I talk to God every day. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't just sit down and pray. I mean, literally I will talk to God if I lose something, you know, I, I, I just talk to him. <laughs> yeah. He's yep. my best friend, you know, I yeah. talk to best him. way to be, man. Yep. Yeah. 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 You know, anything. So you, you said something a love about your love from your sponsor were you loved when you were growing up? Were you, I mean, so you, uh, oh, well, let's go back a little bit because you said you were 15 and you were um, running around with your mom eating opiates all day long. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's, a, that's crazy. Number one, that's incredible. Number two, and what kind of love could be there from a parent that's doing that? Right. I mean, you know, I, I guess she loved you the best she could, but it wasn't the love that you needed to get you through what you, what you had to get through. Right. I mean, do you mind talking a little bit about that? No, not at all. Um, so yeah. So, I mean, and it's funny because growing up, like you said, my mom did do the best she could. Um, I don't, um, I don't believe that that was obviously what she intended. So obviously that's not what she intended growing up. I did have, she did, uh, push us with really good morals. You, you know, you don't lie. You don't steal. You say no to drugs. I actually, in the third grade one, I don't remember, remember the dare program, but I remember writing an essay for the dare program and, um, getting, you know, an award from the president because it was against drugs and all this, Uh (laughs) I mean, drugs, alcohol, (laughs) and, uh, So, yeah, who would have who would have known i mean and then but I was, that's just that, that's how we are dude we're so good like, yeah so and yeah i mean and she was you know she was she was in the depths of you know her own depression and anxiety mm-hmm. and stuff with my dad and she had that same mentality that i did that you know she wanted this perfect little family and she grew up in a good household mm-hmm. where her family was very good and they did all the things and then she kind of just, you know, she met my father and he was a heroin addict and she didn't really know anything about that. And it kind of mm. destroyed her life, made her life crumble. She did get this, uh, diagnosed with a crippling disease at age 28. She was diagnosed with um, rheumatoid arthritis and uh. she's actually in a wheelchair today because of it. Um, but back wow. then they, it was back in the opiate era. It was back in the mm. Oxycontin and the, mm-hmm. they were just pushing it out like candy and they didn't yeah. really know what to do, but to get yeah. that and steroids and so when I would hurt, she'd just give that. And then all of a sudden, here we are, we're, we're both just highly addicted to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and she thought of me like a best friend. And that's mm-hmm. the way I 
we were, we, mm-hmm. she was very enabling and we were very close and closer than a mother and daughter should have been, mm-hmm. you know? Um, mm-hmm. And it's hard for me to say bad things about my mom. Cause you know, it's, I know she did the best she could and yeah, she loved her kids very much. Yeah. Oh yeah. We were doing the best we can. And I think that it's important that you see that. I think too many people sit in that blame. And I think that it's, it's, the only way to truly get free is forgive right? yeah. and understand that. Yeah. It was easier to blame my dad than it was her um, because I saw his, his was more, you know, it was more aware what he was doing, mm, you yeah. know, as far as it was out there, you know, yeah. the police showing up looking for him and men showing up looking for him. Then I guess he'd stolen drugs from and, you know, and finding him strung out in the garage and, you know, just coming in and stealing stuff in front of us and walking Mm. out saying, don't tell your mother. (laughs) (laughs) So is, is, so dad's in sobriety. How about mom? Is she, is she sober? Well, mom's in a nursing home. So her, yeah, her medicine is barely is monitored very well. Mm -hmm. Um, They have cut back a lot, but because Mm. of her disease, they do give her stuff. Okay. Um, But she's doing very well. Mm-hmm. Um, she's usually, she's the youngest one in the nursing home because she's in her fifties. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So she is, let's see, I'm 37. So I think she's like 55. I want to say, okay. wow. And she's in a nursing home because she can't walk. Oh God. And was this due to her, her use or is this just something from, it was due to the arthritis and the wow. unmanageability of wow. it all. I mean, I'm sure the pain medication over the years didn't help. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't keep her healthy. So, so now, so all this goes on, you get sober and your son, how's your son? I mean, you know, your son was involved in this for what, a couple of years, at least. I mean, you know, and they say, um, you know, the kids know right from the beginning, you know, um, you know, we, my son, I know my son was five when I got sober and and I know he knew 100% hands down. He knew, um, you know, but what's, what's everything like now? I mean, you know, you have a great, you have a a crazy great story, but now the, now what are you, what are you reaping from it? Are you getting your, you're, you're getting the reward from it now because you're sober and, you know, (laughs) tell us the good stuff now, you know, the good stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And I was, so I was two when my son got sober, but he dealt with a lot of the the aftermath, <laughs> the cleanup mm-hmm. of all that. So he did deal with a lot. So um, I end up meeting, oh, I did meet a wonderful man in recovery. Uh, I kissed a lot of frogs to find it. <laughs> a lot of frogs. And a lot of praying for my sponsor. Um, but I, uh, I met him and he's in recovery also. So uh, he had, I want to say he had two years sober when we met. And when I tell you that somebody can love you more than you love yourself. That mm. is him. You know, he still dealt with a lot of the craziness, even mm. though I was, you know, I see what I'm 14 years sober now. So it was what nine, 10 years sober when we met and, mm-hmm. and uh, he was still dealing with a lot, but he dealt with a lot of the craziness and uh, he didn't leave. <laughs> I couldn't get rid of him. <laughs> you <laughs> he, tried, he but he me. stuck around. Through it all, through it all, through all the craziness. <laughs> and my son, he became his dad. Wow. You know, and he called him his son and he had wow. two daughters um, from a previous marriage that we have custody of that their mm-hmm. mom's not around. So they were five and seven when we got together. And, you know, so I got two beautiful daughters out of it. Mm. Wow. Um, so, yeah, so we, we went from a family of two to a family of five. And uh, <laughs> it was, you know, and you know, what's interesting is I got that life that I wanted that sitting down at the dinner table with my mm-hmm. that I was involved. Even, even when I was a single mom, I was very involved in my son's life. I mean, mm-hmm. he was in every sport you could name. I was the PTA mom. I was the scout den mom. Mm-hmm. I was very involved in his life. Now I was crazy on the inside and then mm-hmm. inside the doors, but I was still very involved. But when I met my husband, you know, I got very involved in my daughter's lives. We did cheer. We did soccer. We did, you know, I was, you know, treasury of the PTA, which in my mind is very crazy because I suck at handling money, by the way. <laughs> so I'm, I'm I do too. Yeah. <laughs> very bad at it. I'm like, you want me to be in charge of the money? Um, but so I was very involved in their life. Now, now they're all teenagers. So, <laughs> yeah. so they're 16, they're 15 and they're 14. Okay. So they don't have anything to do with this. Yeah. They're, of course. they're little assholes. Um, but you know, that's, it's normal. Um, yeah. Now my son, he struggles. Mm-hmm. He does. He struggles. Um, I get, I'm very fearful of, you know, the road he might take. 
Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of prayer that goes towards him. He's mm-hmm. got bad anger issues. Um, but I'm sober today and I can deal with it. He yeah. gets to see, he gets to see now what it's like to be in a good relationship with a good man and how he treats mm-hmm. me. Yeah. And I know later down the road, he's going to, he's going to see that. His, that all comes back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My daughters get to see what it's like to have a good man, mm-hmm. you know, as a father. Yeah. yeah. Which is so important. It is yeah. very important because of my dad. I didn't, it took me years to get to that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And, and that normal relationship, well, you know, I should I shouldn't say normal because the only thing normal in my house is the setting on the dishwasher, I always say, because yeah, there's what's no, normal? Yeah. Right? There's no book, there's no nothing to say normal. Um, you know, because we life throws curveballs at us, right? And and now you have a, an amazing family with a, a great husband that's taking care of all his children. That's the same thing that I have here. My daughter here, she's not my daughter, but you know, uh, we stepped, I stepped up and, and, you know, my wife and I, they're coming home, both of her are coming home today. I'm super excited to see them. Um, so I understand that, you know, where, where you, you kind of, you kind of get that, um, you know, you kind of get that family and it doesn't matter if they're yours or not. It just matters because they're human beings and we're good human beings and we want what's best for them. And we love them more than we love ourselves sometimes, you know, except for when they're teenagers or maybe yeah. 21 too. They're a pain in the ass. Right? Uh, yeah. You didn't see my house this morning before I got on here. It was, it was pure chaos. I'd like to say, everybody, please stay out of the room. Everything the camera shot is clean. There's all, there's all stuff piled up on the sides of the camera. No, I'm kidding, right? Yeah, probably, yeah. I like. I had to get the good section, you know. There you go. I had to get the good area. Yeah, exactly. I like what you said to clean up in the aftermath. Um, I know, I know we've, we've been going a little bit here, but I, 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 I like that. So is the cleanup still going on? Oh, yeah. Is the math master aftermath? Um, is that still there or is it like, talk a little bit about that Sure. and, and how, how you're, how you're going through that. Cause I don't think that'll ever stop in, in my, in my eyes anyways. And that's what I was going to say too. I don't think that because there's always, you're always changing and you're always evolving and there's always mm-hmm. something that can still come up. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so my past still, it, it affects me today. It affects, mm-hmm. you know, still how, you know, like my son or my relation, you know, because he, he's my, my living amends basically. And, uh, he's the one that got, I think hurt the most out of everything out of mm-hmm. all of it. And there's always going to, cause I mean, I still make mistakes. So mm-hmm. I know there's always going to be cleanup. The worst thing I hate doing is, uh, making amends to people. <laughs> but I do. I have to, I have yeah. to do it. And, you know, a lot of times it is to my kids and my husband. Um, but yeah, so there's always going to be, you know, clean up and aftermath. You know, yeah. one of the things I didn't share um, was when I was five years sober, I was sexually assaulted by one of my uncles. Mm. And uh, I still, I still kind of deal with some of that in my head a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, through counseling and my sponsor and God, you know, I'm able, I mean, I can, I can get through anything with my mm-hmm. relationship with God. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. he can't fix. Yeah. yeah. You know, you, you, and thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being vulnerable about that because there are people out there that think, you know, once I'm in, and once I get sober, things are going to be great. Mm-hmm. They they still go wrong. There's still problems. I mean, you know, you, but you have to, we get to deal with them. We get to move, yeah. move through them. You know, just because we're sober doesn't mean we're going to have a million dollars in the bank. We're going to have the perfect wife, perfect husband. Well, you got it. You got the perfect husband. So I do got, the, I, think I, got the, the I got the perfect husband. <laughs> there you go. That's right. You got the perfect husband. Um, But you know, it doesn't say all that. Thing. It doesn't even, it get recovery guarantees us nothing but staying over and recovery. And then whatever we pile on top of that is how we grow, you know, and, and that's what you're doing. I mean, yeah, of course shit's going to come up and of course things are going to happen. And, and, you know, recovery is a journey, you know, it's not, there's, there's no end. We don't finish the book and say, okay, that's it. Let's move on. What else am I going to tackle today? We, we deal with this on a daily basis. We go to meetings, call our sponsors, do a show, whatever it is, you know, help other addicts and alcoholics get sober. I mean, that's to me, that's so rewarding is that um, the job that you do, I do a similar job and it is the most rewarding um, kind of, kind of job that I can ever have. And, and somebody asked me the other day and said, would you want to do anything else in the world if you could? I said, no, absolutely not. There is nothing zero. I would not change a thing you know, 
it, it just, I, I would just keep helping people. And, and, you know, that sounds like exactly what you're doing, you know, and, and, you know, and, and Megan, you know, it's, it's just an inspiring story, you know, just really inspiring and really uh, I'm, I'm happy. I'm so glad you came on. Um, you know, the minute I, I met you, I'm like, I got to get her on the show. I got to get her. And then uh, she's like, yeah, I'm like, why? I'm like, I don't have to like ask, you don't have to send an email, none of that. She's like, yeah, I'm going to go on. And that, that's what really impressed me is because you want to share these things that you have and, and make sure these people, if they're going through it, there is a means to end or they don't have to go through it because I went through it and you don't have to take that path, right? You don't really need to take that path, take another path and, 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 you know, get sober, whatever the case may be. So, um, you know, from, from getting a liver transplant to having a child very young to, uh, you know, drinking after the liver transplant to finding your higher power, who you call God to cleaning up aftermath and still going and showing up on the show today. I'm impressed, man. I am 100% fucking impressed with you, your story. Okay. Same. Yeah. It's just amazing. So, um, you know, I, I, I hope we can get you back on the show some, oh, somewhere down the road or, you know, you and I always get to talk every once in a while because we do work in the, in the field. And, you know, I have that, that honor to work with you. Now I'm going to even have a little, I'm going to even smile a little bit more because I know anybody that you're helping is going to get the best help that they can possibly get. And uh, you know, that, that's just amazing. So anybody who walks into that hospital is going to get, get what they need, you know, and, you know, just, just amazing how we, we come to, um, come to these points in our lives when we we need not that we have to give back i need to give back right i really do need to give back because not because somebody saved me not because somebody you know stand over my shoulder because i would be doing the community and myself an injustice if i didn't give back what i knew right and and i can see that in you you know and why keep that in why why keep why hide that when it's just an amazing uh, gift that we got so um Beth, do you have any closing words for um, for just Megan, like just for Madonna? Just Megan. <laughs> just the, I mean, your story is is a bit it's it's overwhelming, yeah. and the light that you come across with, it's a true miracle. Like it just it really is, and um, yeah, it's just it's uh, it's a testament to the power and omnipotence of God. Yeah. Yeah. True, true miracle. I love how you put that. Definitely a true miracle. Megan, thank you so much for being here. I want to thank both of you too, for everything y'all do. And this was just been such a privilege and I was very honored that you asked me to come on. And so I just thank y'all so much. For thanks. Talking. Thanks. Thank you. And we're going to help the four people that, that listen to the show all the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. So you'll know, you'll probably know their names eventually. Okay. And, uh, I'm just kidding. But Megan, you know, again, and you know, it just, it's been amazing and, we always close the show by saying, stay sober, everybody. This concludes this episode of Friends in Recovery, the Addiction Recovery Podcast. Follow us on Facebook for past shows and updates and enjoy free access to twice daily support meetings. Friends in Recovery, the Addiction Recovery Podcast is available on Facebook, Podbean, iTunes, and YouTube 24 hours a day, seven days a week. <laughs>